soprano voice was Nicole Renault, a French chanson, accordionist, and a songwriter, hailed by the New York Times as having an ethereal soprano voice. Song we played, Resta Ancora e Capri, which translates to Stay Silent, Motionless, in Capri, from her album Songo di Capri, which means Songs of Capri, from 2014. We are happy to welcome back Coco Doll on our show. Hi, Coco. Hi, Isabella. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Coco. So happy to have you back on our show. We had you on April 20th of last year for our second segment, right after launching of our podcast. So Rebecca will introduce you in just a moment. This 15th segment of iArt New York titled the humanizing role of arts in the wake of the public health crisis is a special episode in which we invite three of our previously interviewed guests to respond to COVID-19 pandemic. It's about resistance of the artists, curators in response to the situation and strategies on how to deal constructively with this new reality amidst all of the chaos and and how to heal in this situation, how to find hope and act on it. iArt New York on Radio Free Brooklyn is brought to you by your hosts, Isabella Gola and Rebecca Major. My name is Isabella Gola, and I'm a visual artist and a visual arts and design curator at the Polish Cultural Institute New York. Rebecca Major is a visual artist studying masters in art history at Hunter College and is a curatorial intern at the Jewish Museum. iArt New York is a talk show, an alternative art tour of the Big Apple in which we bring in special guests and their voices of critical insight about the contemporary art world from New York and the US. So Rebecca will introduce Coco Doll. So Coco Dole is a Brooklyn-based performance artist, painter, and curator whose work explores themes of the body, identity, and feminism. She's created several art initiatives, such as her performance troupe Legacy Fatale, built on notions of mysticism and punk leadership, and her feminist curatorial practice, Milk and Night. Recently, she created a site-specific installation and performance titled Punk Dayism, which was on view from December through January of this year at Discjecta Gallery in Portland, Oregon. And this past November, she curated an exhibition, Wonder Without Land, with artworks by the collaborative art duo Kuzma and Ajuan. So welcome, Coco. I, my very first question actually is about your show at Discjecta. Um, could you yes. elaborate on that? Discjecta was actually... Yes, it's actually a contemporary art museum, so it's not a gallery, it's not a commercial gallery, it's an institution in in Portland, Mm -hmm. Oregon. And could you elaborate on the title of your exhibition, Punk Deism? Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah, Punk Deism, with my French accent, it always (laughs) sounds a little bit different. 
Well, it's kind of the idea of uh, cross-pollinating, uh, punk activism, uh, crossing, uh, trans uh, transcending uh, social norms, and, uh, and the idea and the uh, principle of deity and, and mm -hmm. belief. Uh, so it's, it's a, I, I, made, I, I like that, you know, I wanted to, uh, the, uh, the title to be just a one word. Mm -hmm. uh, so I to create my own, I like to create my own uh, vocabulary. So with this, this idea of transcending belief yeah, because and, uh, it's, uh, it's we are, oh, mm -hmm. sorry, sorry to interrupt, um, because just for our listeners, it's spelled like deity, like D-E-I, so it's punk diism, and so yeah, you're combining words and creating new meanings, it's yes. interesting. New meanings, and uh, because we are in a, we are in a very, um, we are in the world of fusion of practices and aesthetics and, and content, uh, so it's my work is about uh, transforming and transcending uh, categories and just bringing them together under a new system. Mm -hmm. so we all live in a system. We live, we, there's no choice but living in a social system. Mm -hmm. We do have to apply to social norms, uh, to, to citizenship or civility. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we are, you know, based, our world is based on like three religions and more, but there's the idea of like transcending these established uh, belief systems, creating our own in a punk manner, meaning like in a in a uh, disorganized or in a in a, in a very uh, subversive uh, manner, mm -hmm. and also disempowering uh, the authority. That's, yeah, and from the because I wasn't able to see it live, but from the photos I've seen, it's mostly based in performance and you work with other dancers and uh, performers and you create these choreographed and very visually interesting, you know, almost tableaus and dance routines, but they're cathartic yeah. and summoning, you know, and so did you also have artworks or was it more performance yeah. based? Uh -huh. Yes, actually the whole show was a, an installation uh, of uh, a combination of 10 years of my, of my work uh -huh. as a visual artist and a performance artist. So I had a uh, half of the museum space was uh, devoted to my work. Um, I did, I uh, created a 35 foot mural uh, with paintings and photographs of collage, kind of a, kind of a collage superposition of paintings and, and a, a photograph. I created another mural, a 25-foot mural of, of fabric uh, composition and installation uh, called Punk Shrine. So with the idea of like creating a shrine where we look at and like, you know, aspire to new beliefs and connect with. And uh, across that wall was a video projection of a, a eight-minute video based on my performance. Uh, mm -hmm. So all this participated in, in this larger body of work of mine, uh, which is a cross-disciplinary, interdisciplinary. Uh, so I'm using all these variety of mediums. Uh, the curator, Justin uh, Charles Hoover, uh, invited me to open the season um, of his curatorial program at the Jetta Contemporary Art Center in Portland. Uh, and the theme was uh, of his series called Ungodly. 
Uh, so I'm the first artist in his series. It's a wonderful invitation with, by a curator, Justin. And uh, we worked on it kind of together, but he also gave me kind of like a, mm. a carte blanche to yeah, explore and to bring in. It was a wonderful opportunity for me to, uh, to explore a space, a raw space, and a gigantic space, mm -hmm. it's a museum space, where I could actually put all, you know, uh, in, in effect, uh, 10 years of, uh, of visual and yeah, it was very ambitious. From the photos I've seen, it was yeah, very true. large scale and um, yes. really impressive. Thank so, you. Yeah, I wanted to make it a kind of a grand scenario because uh, because of the opportunity that was given. So I I um, I paralleled parallel the opening of my exhibition with a performance mm -hmm. with a performance where that was choreographed and uh, that was prepared in advance. Uh, I had forced out. Because when I do my performance choreography, I, I perform them under uh, the uh, brand of Legacy Fatale. The idea is to invite other women to participate and create this uh, female leadership uh, together, mm -hmm. and and that that we where we lead the public into a, uh, a unique experience. So we did an open call uh, prior to my arrival, uh, you know, and through the social media. And we had a couple of responses, like three or four uh, performers, which was fantastic. You know, I mean, the people, if women are attracted into this program or choreography or uh, artists and dancers and, and feminists and queers and weirdos, outcasts, you know, we are all like a social outcasts, mm -hmm. um, independent uh, women that want to have this experience. So, we recruited like four or five local dancers. Then I had a, a an evening of rehearsal and training, uh, which was wonderful because I got to know them. And uh, and the day of the opening, they came. Uh, we performed a dance tableau, which is kind of like this, uh, the the branding of Legacy Festival, where there's always this formation of women uh, that are kind of image stills. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's moving slowly. Yeah. And, uh, I actually wanted to ask just... about the Legacy Fatale. Sorry to the... interrupt you, yes. but yes, speaking uh, of you as uh, the, the post-feminist Renaissance woman that transgresses the pre-existing theories and ancient myths like the Athena or Panathenaia, and speaking of Renaissance woman, I'm, I'm thinking of you as navigating you know, the complex multiple roles as an artist, performer, curator, choreographer, activist, and a mother. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how do you, how do you reconcile this challenging reality right now? And how do you recalibrate your projects? And uh, speaking of Legacy Fatale, which is, uh, which demarcates this post-feminist uh, dream. What is that dream now? I would like to hear about this new upcoming project. I know you are scouting out for the new location for your performance. What were you thinking about and how to recalibrate this into this new reality, new challenges that we are all facing? Uh, the, to answer your first question, how do I combine all these uh, yeah. kind of titles and subtitles and all these, like, how do I wear all these hats? Yes, together? yes, as a I, Renaissance yeah. woman. Kind of to answer your first question about how I layer all these uh, 
uh, all these practices and all these uh, uh, all these actions together. Um, sometimes I don't know how I do it, and, and sometimes I think I'm totally crazy. This is way too much. What am I doing now? I don't know why I'm doing this. This it's way too much. Can I just be just a painter or just a photographer? Why can't I just be mm -hmm. just a performer? You know, I mean, why can't it just be so simple? It seems like. So it seems that the answer is more relying on the fact that I don't know. Maybe I don't know how to just do one thing. So it, I think we all don't know as female artists. Right. Exactly. So which is probably part of a larger, exactly, of a bigger, bigger phenomenon uh, about being a woman, where a woman's work is never done. So we have to... We have to activate all kinds of different practices and spaces. I mean, for me, a groundbreaking and stepping stone exhibition was a 2007 uh, Art and the Feminist Revolution at PS1, curated by Connie Butler. And I really discovered what feminist art is about, is about exploring all these mediums and materials and, and the body and like in all different kinds of surfaces and supports. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I, I wanted to experience all this. So mm -hmm. that's where it kind of started to, like, layer all these experiences. It can be very disorientating because you have to be, it's a challenge. you got to mm -hmm. be very organized to make it work. How do you feel about the slowdown, shutdown, lockdown, whatever you want to call it? It's a kind of forced um vacation in a, a sense. It's a studio practice. Yay! It's a, it's, a, it's a forced it's what? It's a forced studio, studio practice. Uh -huh. uh, because I w it's actually I started a new series of drawings. I haven't been able to draw in, in, uh, on, the, on a regular basis in a while because, again, I'm doing all these things, you know, and I'm a mom, you know, I'm a single mom, so I nurture and educate uh, a young girl in two different languages and two different cultures. So it's kind of double work for me, and my brain is pulled out in different directions. Like, sometimes I'm like, whoa, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so um, Yeah, I so wanted I to actually follow up on, on your role as a mother, which is uh, one of your um, main roles, if not the most important one. <laughs> um, I know. You have a beautiful daughter, Noor. Um, she just divine light. Divine light, and she mm -hmm. just turned ten years old not long ago. <laughs> and so, how do you overcome challenges of this reality, dealing with the homeschooling? How is your identity as a mother enlighten your identities as an artist? I'm interested in the dialectical relationship between the two, you know, speaking of the wearing many hats and uh, multiple roles as an artist, female artist, how do they inform each other? Has the situation, this strange reality, how did it transform your relationship with Noor? I'm going to start with the last question. Uh, actually, uh, it was very beneficial at first uh, to be um, home sheltered with my child 24-7. Right. The first month was amazing in the sense that, oh, my God, I get to spend all this time with my child. When before I was running around, okay, run, running to work, running 
school, running to after school, running to groceries, running to uh, go, you know, doing homework and uh, making food, doing the dishes, putting her to bed, waking up, and it was very tight, you know, schedule, right. super. So I only had per, per day, maybe like, you know, you only have an hour or an hour and a half quality time with your child, and that's if you're lucky. Because some people don't have much quality time with their child during the week because they have to work all the time. New York is a very, very expensive city. Um, so being enclosed in home shelter with my daughter was actually a, a blessing. I was like, oh, my God, we're, we started doing TikTok videos together. So we're doing dance challenges and TikTok videos and... Yeah. I, I saw those on TikTok. social media, the Wonderful. duo dancers. She's also a dancer by nature, and she has performed, and she's a performer in Legacy Fatale, so she grew up also performing. Um, so her dance is very important for her, and I'm was happy to be able to, uh, to, 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 to do those uh, challenges with her. Uh, so that was a positive effect. Uh, the homeschooling was absolutely nerve-wracking, and it still is. Uh, all the parents are, you know, we are just exhausted from it. It's uh, nerve-wracking um, to, to most of us. I'm sure some of them, some parents are doing well, and some schools are, have better systems. But the school that we have is a great school, but this, the online digital platform that they put together is very disorganized mm-hmm. and it has an effect on our uh, our daily life and now the you know kids after eight weeks of doing digital online learning they just have enough so it's really hard to uh to 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 uh, motivate to motivate them to motivate so motivation is a challenge right now mm-hmm. that's yeah. part of the perseverance that makes you stronger as an artist and being a mother also informs your art practice because you mentioned that your daughter is going to perform and she has performed in Legacy Fatale, Panathenaya yes. uh, series. I mean, we were, both me and Rebecca she, had the this, pleasure to participate last year. And so we, yes, I would like to come back to have. the first part of my uh, uh, first question. Yes, about the Legacy Fatale and, uh, and also her role in it now and what are you envisioning for Legacy Fatale this yeah. year? Well, I can uh, circle back that uh, motherhood, how motherhood has changed my art practice with the performance of Legacy Fatale uh, question right now because uh, I, because I've, when I, as, as I became a mother and as my child was growing into like four or five years old, I started integrating the children in the performance because some of my performers right. are also mothers, and so the concept of womanhood, motherhood, and nurturing started to integrate uh, into the, the performance practice of Legacy Fetal. Um, in parallel with our upstate, uh, upstate uh, getaways performances, um, I choreographed uh, very, very specific, very site-specific choreographies upstate for families, children, uh, motherhood, tapping into animism, sisterhood, and the concept of mother-to-daughter relationship and intergeneration, intergenerational transfer of, uh, of knowledge and, uh, and, and sisterhood. Mm-hmm. So that's where being a mother 
uh, really participated in integrating that concept within the performances, I think I really succeeded in it. We have beautiful performances with the kids and the moms, uh, mostly upstate uh, New York in the nature. Uh, when we perform in the city, we perform more with like a punk and an activist kind of uh, spirit. So I can't really integrate the kids in there. I, don't, I think they're too young. You know, I prefer nurturing, nurturing uh, the children into the performance than teaching them teaching them the politics of protest. You know, too, they're too early for that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you fear that the uh, format and the 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 shape and the collaborative nature of the these performances with a community of people will shift in the future, or are you hopeful that things will you know, get back to normal or what is normal? I, I guess I'm How kind of normal gonna be? <laughs> yeah. What's the new normal going to be? What's the new normal? I mean, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, are we all going to be kind of traumatized about social distancing? I mean, my daughter is 10 years old now. She learned how to wear a mask and to social distance herself from people. I mean, will that have an effect on them as they grow up into teenage and adulthood? I have no idea. It might. It might. You know, I have no idea. We don't know. Mm -hmm. So, but definitely it has marked everyone. So, uh, there's some uncertainties about the future for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of anxieties uh, in the air um, in terms of like um, uh, jobs, market, economy. Uh, a lot of people are uncertain about it. Not everybody's going to do well. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I think some companies, some uh, uh, some some uh, certain communities are going to do better than others. Uh, depends on what you're working into. I mean, right now I feel that everything that is digital, like consulting or servicing and digital uh, online services, are doing well. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of like online platforms growing. Yes, and I'm actually working on a as a Absolutely. curator. With my consulting business, Milk and Night, uh, that's uh, what I've been working on. I'm working on a masterclass, an online masterclass, uh, in partnership with my uh, partner publicist, uh, Natalie Levy. Uh, we've been working a couple, uh, for a couple of years together already on uh, different clients, cultural clients. So we're building a masterclass uh, online that we're going to launch for uh, July, actually. So it's called... Uh, Make your mark, masterclass signature. So, what will if some of the lessons on the platform suggest? Will they be like performance based or? No, performance art is mostly you know coming from my personal practice. Um, this will be addressed for uh, any any practices in the arts. It, mm -hmm. The idea is to make your mark signature masterclass is to. Um, help artists with creative marketing and uh, boost, uh, boosting their career. So how do you demystify the art world and boost your career? You know, mm -hmm. being your own, you know, how do you, um, how do you develop uh, your own mark? How do you make your own mark? Uh, I think we'll be ready within a week to send. Uh, to send. It will be on Eventbrite. And uh, it's, ba I mean, it's structured on Zoom conferences, like diff daily Zoom conferences with uh, uh, topic workshops and one-to-one uh, -one, uh, 
curatorial and uh, one-to-one consulting session for each right. artist. Um, and and with the grand finale, uh, which will be a group exhibition in a gallery in Brooklyn, not right now, obviously, but probably in the winter. So uh, hopefully in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll, it will be like a one week of crash course and uh, ending with a group exhibition, actually, which is actually a great uh, uh, incentive. That sounds and, um, so amazing. I might have to take that class. And, uh, it's kind of like to, the class that they I don't teach you. Up. <laughs> okay. It's like the class they don't teach you in art, art school. <laughs> because in art school, it's all about the artwork, but there's very little conversation about the outside exactly. world and how to navigate exactly. within that outside exactly. world. Yeah, that sounds Absolutely. really amazing. So that's ex- we'll be the mentors. Uh, uh, the class will uh, be led by me and uh, myself and Natalie. So we're both uh, expert in our field. I'm a curator. She's an art publicist. So you, the students or the uh, the they will be um, uh, mentored, uh, special one-to-one uh, mentorship by both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is exactly what uh, the artists emerging and, you know, even a little bit more than emerging artists uh, need uh, to apply. It's, it's, it's not easy to get out there and just figure it out. How do you actually become this artist? You know, I mean, when you live in the bubble of the art world, it's, uh, in the, of the art school, it's kind of easy because you're, you're lifted by a structure, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But oh, once yeah. that structure is gone, how do you, wow, you got to swim in the, you're like a yes. little fish in the sea. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. There is no prescription and there is yes. no ABC that leads to D. You have to find and navigate your own way. I checked Milk and Night profile and I saw your recent post from March 27. There was a quote. I think it's in response to the George Floyd. Yes. So that quote. Killing. I saw the. Yeah, the quote that you're referring to is not mine. It's a quote by uh, uh, Yasmin Wahi. She's a a curator. Mm -hmm. Um, She's an activist and a curator. She's a social justice curator of the. Uh, Bronx Museum. Um, Okay, let me just read the quote so our listeners will uh, relate to it. Understand that it's not about you. Just because it doesn't feel racialized to you doesn't mean that it isn't. Part of being an ally is recognizing that your experiences are inherently different. You can use your position to make systematic change, and this is a first step. So, when, yeah. you know, I was simultaneously the same day uh, checking the ABC News and hearing about the George Floyd killing by the police, which sparked riots in Minneapolis. And Trump actually threatened to send troops. And the riots uh, echoed, of course, around the country and including New York City yesterday. I'm not sure if, if like you saw some of those videos from the riots in New York City. I was wondering, in response to the situation, how do you apply the racial issues in your work? Uh, that's a tough question and a kind of a sensitive one because uh, I am white and I am European. So Yeah, you know, but I also speaking of Milk and Night and the consulting, curatorial and the media agency, that, which you're leading based in New York City, which is a very diverse city. Curate is very diverse. You know, I invite intersectional conversations uh, in all my curation. You know, I invite uh, mostly women, but I also invite some men. 
and and I, when I invite women, I invite women from different communities and background and uh, racial background as well. So my uh, idea of curation is a melange. We will use that French word, a melange of identities. But what's going on right now is absolutely uh, it's it's it's. My my guts are torn apart. I mean, just yeah. like this is absolutely, there's not enough words for this. But you know, again, coming from a white perspective, I grew up in Europe in in privileged country. Uh, we didn't have uh, slavery in our country. You know, I mean, we were part of uh, the colonialists, as uh, you know, in the right. couple of centuries ago. But uh, the uh, historical uh, baggage of slavery in America is so strong, and this is this is just beyond my uh, even my understanding. Uh, I didn't uh, grow up learning about this, and uh, I came here in America. I was already a young adult, uh, 22, 23. So I'm learning. I'm also learning today. Mm-hmm. Right, which is so, so important. So this quote is also about learning how to, you know, how to relearn, how to learn how to relearn history. Well, yes, these issues that are absolutely sad and just so shameful and so. Again, there's not enough word for it. I'm not. I'm not that powerful of an activist, but. Uh, you know, I rely on other uh, leaders uh, in that field. Uh, Jasmine Wahid has become a really strong leader in the art community on uh, in that issue. And there's other, uh, she's followed by a lot of other uh, curators and artists uh, that have very strong positioning. Um, so I can only rely to that and, and, and learn myself how to better understand this huge responsibility that we have all uh, concerning, you know, uh, the uh, uh, enslavement of any human beings and also the criminalities around it. It's, it's beyond, beyond. The whole world is, is, is being touched by a disease and social politics at the same time. I feel very Com- humble about it in a way because it's not so, you know, I'm still learning. Wow. Right. I think that it's a really interesting point also that these two major events are converging and there's almost like exacerbates emotions. People have been not allowed to be on the streets to make their voice heard and now it's just erupting in this uh in this way, you know, in, I the, think. in the midst of pandemic and the lockdown right. and I mean, social the lockdown, distancing. The lockdown is still active in many parts of the of the country. So we're not yeah. really back to our normal lives yet. Although we are not even in, we are not kind even, of entering phase one in like right. up in Hudson Valley. I wanted so. to just right. um, switch gears and go back to what we were talking about before about how you've been seeing a shift to the online platform. And I wonder, do you find it effective in this COVID um, era for an artist to? switch over and to use what tools are available. So for instance, I've seen a lot of 
Zoom conferences that are, you know, recorded and put on YouTube and discussions on through podcasts. And, you know, they're there if you look for them much more than before. And maybe that's something that's not really going to go away, but it's just even when we go back to normal, so to speak. And, but that's, it's, it's a really great way to reach people. Of course, it's, it's built in for an audience that has more time on their hands. So we all have more time on our hands. So we have the capabilities and time to, um, search out these other forms of, um, looking at art and listening to art experts and artists talk about their art, but it does seem to be a a new way to reach people. Um, what do you think? Is it, yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've been myself enjoying a variety of platforms, uh, podcasts that I never had time to listen to, like Art Talk from London. I really like those two guys in London, very funny, and also mm-hmm. to get a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on in, in Europe. Um, yeah, I've listened to them then, too. They're pretty good. They have good and guests. They're pretty on. fun, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I've been enjoying a lot of performer. Performer had an online pl- platform of video art called Timeshare by all the artists that they worked with. That was very interesting. So you get to see footages and work of, that you don't really have the the ability to see otherwise um, because we are so consumed by transportation. To you know, we have to. If we're not home sheltered, we actually have to go places. So not to have to go anywhere saves us time, a lot of time, uh, in a way. So we we can access all these uh, uh, variety of content on on online platforms. Um, uh, I have uh, enjoyed a lot of different podcasts. Um, and also, I must say that I've done something very interesting yeah. that just sparked in my, yes, mm-hmm. in, a- in April, I had yeah, one or two, I had two contacts of a gallery uh, art dealers that I had prospected and built a relationship with to, to, to do a studio visit at some point. And it just was in the making, but, you know, of course, COVID, you know, happened, so that was not going to happen, right? And then I was like, wait a minute, let me do a virtual studio visit. And they both said, okay. And uh, I had a great time doing that. Wow, this was amazing, great. actually. Virtual studio visit with two art dealers, a different one. was very successful. I just did this for myself and I was very happy about it. And the funny part about it when you do a virtual studio visit is that you, actually, you can actually edit where you're showing and what you're showing. Uh, you know, it's a very different experience than coming in somebody's studio and, uh, you know, you don't have to clean up the studio the way you do usually when somebody physically has, uh, you know, will come and, uh, and visit the studio. This time you can only show, oh, okay, I'm going to show that corner of the wall mm-hmm. and just that. Mm-hmm. Those drawings here on the table, you know. That's so, great, yeah. That was, uh, it's, there's a little more control <laughs> over the, um, of the perspective. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So um, I really enjoyed that. So I kind of made the best out of it in April. Yeah, um, that's a great idea. I see a lot of galleries or uh, doing studio visits with, uh, you know, artists uh, as they're working and stuff like that. But I actually performed those two studio visits with uh, uh, art dealers that I would uh, I'm prospecting to work with in the future. So. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not like something's going to happen right now, but it was very 
uh, it made a mark. You know, we will all remember that we did this uh, during uh, COVID. So, as an artist, you have to. This is the challenge. You. This is where you need to really stay focused and kind of like go beyond the uh, general anxiety. Uh, you have to find ways of still moving forward. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, I, I know some artists, they're like, oh, I can't move because I can't go to my studio because my husband or I can't, you know, I can't access my studio because of COVID. I'm like, oh my God. So you're stuck in your house, but you can't work. This is terrible for an artist. If you're, I live and work with, in the, I, I live and work in the same place, so this is great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can't access your studio when you're home sheltered, I mean, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So looking back about Legacy Fatale, and you said you were scouting for sites. The previous site was in upstate in Rosekill in New York. So are you considering doing some of it online? What no. have you, what have you no, decided? I mean, we did. We opened the uh, season upstate New York at Rosekill for four years uh, during Memorial Weekend. So Memorial Weekend is just past. So now I'm not going to do a performance online. Uh, and plus, the, the the art residency of Rosekill is closed. Uh, you know, the directors uh, are not uh, welcoming any anyone on the premises. You know, because of uh, the COVID and social distancing. Uh, so. I, I did go upstate on, on the location scouting for a performance for next year. So I'm preparing for next year. The idea of doing an online uh, performance is kind of doesn't really work for Legacy Style because it's a really live experience. Because we are a group, we will have to be together. That kind of breaks the rules of social distancing. So, and upstate, they're still very uptight about uh, visit, visitors. So I was not able even if I had wanted, I would have not been able to create that kind of synergy right now. But I, I did go upstate in disguise because I didn't really tell anyone I was going. You had <laughs> a mask. Let me guess. I had a mask. You had, you had a mask on. And my, my mouth. <laughs> no one could I recognize you with that mask, mask on. <laughs> That's so funny. We're all in disguise. The whole humanity is in disguise. We're all wearing masks. I mean, speaking of the online tools uh, that we are using now for communicating about arts, like Zoom webinars and uh, YouTube Premiere, I mean, I've tried that uh, also for my job for a couple of projects, and it, it turned out to be a success and gave a lot of exposure to a Polish artist named Jan Safka that has simultaneous shows, Samuel Dorsky Museum in New Paltz and Rafma, Robert and Francis Museum in San Bernardino. The two museums joined and created a new content that otherwise would be just two separate events. And we had 600 uh, viewers, actually. So I find that tool quite convincing. And actually, the Zoom healing for the healers session that you invited me, Coco, that was back in April 19, I really loved it too. And that was on Zoom. I really felt like it transgressed through the breathing exercises and meditation. Uh, I think those tools are effective, but just need to adapt to them and uh, work them into our normal ways of operating. We need well, to maybe digest we, it, them, basically. it is going to help us develop our telepathic uh, 
powers or our third eye because we do have an energy that is invisible like uh, the radio energy or Wi-Fi. I mean, there are many waves that we can't see with our own eyes that do exist in this world and that are all around us. Uh, so maybe the energy that you felt is because we are also maybe our transmitter uh, as humans of uh, telepathic energy through that can also maybe be transferred through digital platforms. So this is actually very positive. There's definitely a positive impact and effect from using all these platforms. I'm enjoying Zoom too a lot. Yeah, I'm using it all the time as well for work, and sometimes I feel like it's too much, but it's the only way out there to connect. I truly felt that energy joining with the other females in, yes. in that session, you so know, thank you so much. You know, it's funny because before I even Zoom existed, I was doing a lot of FaceTime. I love FaceTime. I always, and all my friends, even my boyfriend at the time, and my parents, they're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, come on, I want FaceTime. I love FaceTime. Mm -hmm. I love to see I want to see you. I want to trans I want to see the energy. I want to see your facial expression. I don't want to look at the wall while I'm talking to you. It's so nice to be able to see the person, right? Yeah. So well, for me, Zoom was just an extension of FaceTime, a better version of FaceTime, where it can actually have a whole uh, like ten people, twenty people, even a classroom. So, so um, interesting. Yeah. No, I think maybe it's something that we, as a society, won't. Um, leave behind it's going to be more of a part of our daily life are you um so you're not planning on anything live this for the rest of the year um until things kind of i'm, not, I'm preparing my online class uh as far i'm i i would like to create an online video exhibition um but first i have to lock down the class mm -hmm. uh, i still have time for that you know mm -hmm. so there might be something happening in september october uh, as far as the curatorial with video, um, performance-wise, I couldn't say. Yeah. You know, I couldn't. Don't have anything on tap. I mean, planned right now. It, I'd rather work in depth and do something bigger next year. Yeah. We're gonna wrap it up, and I want to thank you so much for offering insight into your life during the pandemic lockdown and um, sharing welcome. your um, vision of your art projects, explaining it so thoroughly and beautifully, and also offering your really sensitive thoughts on the protest movement in response to the death of George yes. Floyd. And we've covered so much. And it's we been... We did. <laughs> and my, my online course, Make Your Mark, Signature Masterclass uh, with uh, Natalie Levy and Coco Doll to be continued. If you want to know about this, you can go on my milkandnight.com uh, website. We'll post about it very soon. That's perfect. That sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Thank we'll you. we'll so join for, for sure. We'll join for sure and looking forward to okay, working with great. you. Oh, and for our listeners who want to hear our other interview with Coco Dole, go to our episode list and click on episode three, where we have a over an hour long interview with her from um, last April. So just want to say that awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for thank being you. on our show and thank you Isabella. it was so great thank to have you, you back Rebecca. Always thank you a Coco. pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me again uh, i can't wait to listen to more of your interviews oh, and, thank, um, you. thank you thank you we'll talk soon bye okay that's bye. the legacy fatal bonding 
Okay. Cool. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank bye you. bye.